Good morning, everyone. My name's Ron. Will you pray with me? Our Father, you know our weaknesses and you know my inadequacies in speaking. May your Spirit search our hearts and cleanse them so we hear you now. Open our eyes so we see Jesus in all his glory. Refresh us who are a bit indifferent, who are slack, who are wounded. Breathe on us new joy that so changes us that even hearts of those around us who do not know you are captured. This we beg of you for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to understand this commandment by asking three questions of it. One, what does it mean then and now? Two, is it true? Three, then what? One, what does it mean then in Exodus? The first clause, honour your father and your mother. Honour is translated, can be translated as respect, obey, care for, show courtesy to. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The bit days uh, may be long can be translated, we'll have a long time and have a full life. We'll live a long time. Um, for the people of Israel at the time of the Exodus, it meant respect your folks and you people will enjoy a long, full life in the promised land. What about what it means in Ephesians? In Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul teaches how wives, husbands, children, parents, masters and slaves are to, uh, where am I? to submit to one another in reverence for Christ. And then in Ephesians 6 verse 1, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And that can be read, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. The first reason he gives is that children need to do this because it is right. It is the way of nature, how societies everywhere are ordered. Then he adds a Bible reason, quoting the commandment. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Or, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. In the process, Paul has broadened how the commandment applies now that God's people live in many lands. From the context of Ephesians 5, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ and addressing all those different groups, it seems most likely that in Australia today, under 18s are meant. 18-year-olds can vote and, and can marry without parental consent. But John Stott says that in some cultures, the power of the father extends throughout the child's life. In those cases, Stott commends observing the cultural expectations with the proviso, as we will see more of later, that we are obeying and not disobeying God. Two, is it true? In Exodus, 
or the Exodus period, we get to Joshua 23 and verse 14, and it's summed up at that time, not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. The people have secured the land and have in general lived long, full lives. So then it is true. The opposite applies centuries later in the, in the troubled times when the kingdom is falling apart as Micah describes in chapter 7 and verse 6. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Micah sees that disobedience as one cause of Judah's demise. Is it true in Ephesians? Most of the blessings are spiritual in Christ. But the, the, the translation things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth implies material benefit on earth. Remember Paul is speaking generally, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Obedience will be a blessing for the general well-being of the community. But there can still be individual exceptions. Clearly, strong families are the basis for strong societies. Parents, when we are young, represent God to us. They teach us authority and love, and that, ex that extends into the community. So it's true generally for the community. Three, then what? How does it work? How does it work in Jesus' teaching? When the rich young ruler asks what, what he must do to inherit eternal life in Mark 10, Jesus quotes the fifth commandment along with the others. Plus, Jesus invites him to trade his possessions for treasure in heaven and to follow him. These commandments gauge the young ruler's life. When Jesus disputes with the Pharisees in Matthew 15, there's no watering down of the fifth commandment. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honour your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honour his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. They were working a loophole. Say your house is devoted to God, then there's no need to sell it to provide for your folks if they fail, if, uh, if they fall on hard times. And you can stay in your house, ignoring their needs. Jesus shows them that the commandment is to be observed. How does it work in his living? In age 12, he stays back in his father's house after Passover in the temple. And afterward, his parents aren't that pleased. They, and this is Luke chapter 2 verse 50, they did not understand him. But verse 51 he went down with them to Nazareth 
and was submissive to them. He has to honour his heavenly father and his earthly parents. Some of us today have more than uh, honouring our heavenly father and biological parents. There's more, more parents again. He honours his father by knowing his word and using it through his temptation. During his ministry, his family become worried for him. As Luke 8 records, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are out standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Honouring parents does not extend to diverting ministry. In agony, he submits in prayer to his father's will in the Garden of Gethsemane. Honouring parents does mean caring for them as long as we are able. And in John 19, it's recorded that as he is dying, Jesus arranges care for his mother. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her in his own home. He surrenders his life on the cross for us, trusting his Father. When he cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In all these ways and more, Jesus observes the commandment in his life. We know what it means. We've seen how it is true and we have seen some of how it worked in Jesus' life and teaching, then what? What will we do in response? In our lives, what will we do in our teaching? Parents, it's our job to teach our children. Parents are busy, but Sunday school, special religious education, even Christian school, cannot undo your modelling. This has eternal priority for your children. Some may say, I don't know how. It isn't easy. And um, as children grow older, how you teach needs constant adjustment. Fathers might be put off because we have to do so without provoking children to anger. None of that changes our responsibility. Read the Bible with them, pray with them, talk about it through the everyday. You will be encouraged if you watch Jonathan Williams on the Reformers bookcast. He's written a book about Richard Baxter and family worship. And he says, give yourself some slack, but problem solve it and do it. My child cannot read. Then they can still join in by your reading part of the verse and getting them to repeat it. Parents, 
when our children suffer, care for them, of course, but also use it as an opportunity to teach obedience. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, says Hebrews 5 verse 8. What will we do in our living? If you're under 18, obey unless doing so breaks God's law. If you're older, out of reverence for Christ, then model your parents' virtues and gifts. Obey their lawful commands and counsels. Submit to their corrections. Without excusing criminal behaviour, bear with their infirmities. Think highly of them. Balance their demands against your family's demands and your responsibilities to provide for your family. Suffering, disease, gradual decline is not dignified. We rarely see people die. We love usefulness. We're scared by suffering and dependence and don't talk about dying. It's all so undignified. Faced, faced with suffering and death, our community tells us voluntary assisted dying is a good death. Death with dignity. Death is not dignified. It is an abomination. There is a different good death. One that embraces hope in Jesus, acknowledges our complete dependence on the Lord, turns from self-rule to trust in him, and clings to Jesus' promise of eternal freedom from sin and death, won only through Jesus' death and resurrection. A good death embraces reliance on one another, encouraging one another in, in eternal biblical truths and tending to frail bodies with Christ-like patience and compassion. The law came after God rescued Israel out of Egypt to bring them to the Promised Land. The law comes after the Gospel. Jesus doesn't say, if you obey my commandments, I will love you. Instead, he first loves them in a thousand ways, washes the disciples' feet, and then says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Sometimes we sing, O oh, praise the name, and these words, he shall return in robes of white, the blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. The hymn we're about to sing uh, finishes with the words, Christ of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my ruler, still be my vision, still be my vision O ruler of all. If you too love Jesus, let that be your vision and honour your Father in